of time and space. Everywhere and anywhere, every star that ever was. Where do you want to start? We've left Tel Aviv, but we're still in the mood for culture and excitement. But we've missed by a country mile. I'm Ian. And I'm Mark. And welcome to All of Time and Space. Or, as all the cool kids are calling it... Aotas! Aotas! Anyway, that's enough of that tomfoolery. Let's get on with it, shall we? And get up to speed with where we are in the story. The TARDIS materialises on what at first sight appears to be a dry and lifeless planet serving only as a graveyard for spaceships. Then the TARDIS crew discovers a magnificent museum housing relics from every corner of the galaxy. These have been assembled by the Morrocks, a race of cruel conquerors who have invaded the planet Xeros and enslaved its inhabitants. Upon further exploration, the Doctor, Ian, Barbara and Vicky seem to stumble upon the impossible for suddenly facing them in an exhibit case they find themselves. Ooh, exciting. Right, we'll be back after this. Yes, I'm afraid it's going to be a little more difficult than that. The mists are beginning to clear slightly. I'm just beginning to see reason. Where are we, hmm? Where are we, hmm? Well, here, surely. Are we? We must have arrived here in the TARDIS sometime. Are we here? Hmm? Look. It's us. That's not models or pictures. That's us. Yes. Exhibits in a space museum. Can you explain it, Doctor? Time. Like space. Although a dimension in itself also has dimensions of its own. So you know about it, child. Hmm. We must have a little chat sometime. Hmm? Yes, you see, we really are in those cases. But we're also standing here looking at ourselves from this dimension. Well, it's horrible. Those faces, our faces just staring. Well, at least it explains... What's been happening to us? Yes, it does, my boy. And if we're not there, we can't leave footprints and break glasses or touch things. Hmm? And nobody can see us. I see. Oh, yes, they can. Oh, yes, they can see us. Where we really are. There. Is there... Is there any way of getting out of this, Doctor? Well, my dear, I suppose we got into it. <laughs> there must be. You know, I don't mind admitting I've always found it extremely difficult to solve the fourth dimension. And here we are, face to face with the fourth dimension. You know, I think the TARDIS jumped a time track and ended up here in this fourth dimension. Hmm. It's extraordinary. 
and welcome back and we are joined by the legend himself dr <laughs> matt barber <laughs> hello hello hi hi welcome back matt thank you are you well i'm i'm very well yes thank you i'm locked down are you pleased to be joining us for this episode um no yes i am you you seem to bring me in <laughs> for for the oddball stories well um, so yeah I mean, speaking of oddballs, we did have you initially down to do the Daleks' Invasion of Earth. Yeah. But you suggested that Mr. Southall might be uh, a better person to uh, cover that, and yeah. he might get upset if he doesn't get to do it. I fell on J.R. sword with my mouth open really and did. my Not mind, for the first time. <laughs> my mind <laughs> clear. So lucky J.R. Mm-mm. So yeah, I got I got this one. Yes. Thanks, guys. You lucky thing. Well, it's it's all the same. They're all they're all. Good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I had to watch Megloss for the other podcast. So far, I've watched Megloss and this this one. I like Megloss. Oh, I think Matt probably. Likes I am Megloss that one person now. that likes Megloss. It's a throwback to season seventeen, so I'm all over that. Definitely. Anyway, enough of that. Because now, Ian, it's time for... It's time for The Mind Probe. Oh no, not The Mind Probe. Wow, I tried an alternative delivery for that. It was good, it was good. good. If only Paul Jericho had tried an alternative (laughs) delivery. Dr. Barber, satisfy the mind probe and we will return you to your customary place in time and space. But fail the test and Castellan Cochrane here will toss you into the time lash. Are you all set for some silly questions? <laughs> do you do the same the same joke every time? Yes, I do. I've got to go. Okay, so, fine. <laughs> and I think it gets funnier. And I'm sure the people yeah. at home will agree it gets funnier every time. I'm sure, but by the hundredth podcast with the Stones of Blood. <laughs> I'm reasonably people... confident no one will be listening by then. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yes, yes, I am ready. I am ready to submit to your probe. Okay, my probe is ready. I'm now going to extend my probe in your direction. Okay. And this thank metaphor. God, thank God for lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm um, so glad we're doing this as a video call. <clears throat> yeah. So, obviously, this week we're talking about the Space Museum. So, this week's questions are all about museums. Okay. You'll like this. You're clever and possibly academic. <laughs> Question, I'm question so going to fall apart. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Where would you find a museum located inside an abandoned elevator shaft? Where would I find a museum located inside an abandoned elevator uh, shaft? Yes. I mean, it sounds almost sort of Tate Modern-y. So I'm going to try Tate Modern. Okay, it's not, it's in New York. Is it? Yes, it is. It's a real museum. Okay. Question number two. 
You're not going to elaborate on that. No, I'm not going to elaborate. <laughs> like on how it. they do it or where it is in New York. It's near Tribeca. It's oh, okay. Literally, okay. Uh, I'll send you a link. Question cool. two: Where would you find a museum dedicated to Edgar Allan Poe inside a high school closet? Okay, so Edgar Allan Poe. So it's got to be America. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe comes from Boston, I think. So I'm going to. Does he? Or. Oh, Ian just made a face. He that... might he might have come from there, but yeah. Okay. Oh. Okay, I'm going to say Boston anyway. It's not. It's a place called Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, I wrote that one down. I didn't write down exactly the details about the first one. <laughs> I feel bad, okay. but I'm hoping we can move on. Okay. So, Question... so, sorry, so we don't know if you had a link with Tuscaloosa. Well, he didn't die there. He wasn't born there. So I I feel it's one of those random museums that people just... I can't help thinking this quiz. It's not very... They're not very (laughs) easy to get. Uh, Ian, shall I... They're uh, not supposed to. Shall I fire up the old... uh, Get the time lash. Get the... Yeah. Just just warm it up a bit. Get the the Twizzlers burning. Uh, Question three. And... You might, you might get one of them. You've only got to get one, right? Okay. Question three. Where would you find a phone box art gallery? I read that out like a weirdo. I'm sorry. Where would you find a phone box art gallery? Clue. The phone box is green. Uh, so, I'm going to guess Ireland, Dublin, maybe? You fell for my trap. It's actually oh. um, in, in Barningham, North Yorkshire. Oh, really? There is a, a sort of decommissioned phone box that a local artist has turned into his uh, his gallery, and he regularly exhibits oh. a painting in it. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Why, why is the green post box? Um, just as a, 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 a local vagary of that part of the world, they had green ones. Um, because oh, okay. to do with the red would have clashed with the village uh, style. Aesthetic. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Question Excellent. four. This is going very well, yeah. It's going very well for me, because I really do want to see you being vigorously tossed into the time lash. Where would you find the House of the Red Moon, which features a museum of just 2.29 square metres, which is open 24-7-365? Okay, so with, without sounding um, racist, I'm going to say it sounds like Japan, so I'm going to say Tokyo. Once again, you have fallen for my trap. It's actually <laughs> in Monza, in Italy. Oh right, yeah. so this time lash thing. Yeah. This time lash thing. If I fall into it, does that mean I, I don't get to talk about the space museum? Oh no, no. And it's just no, this you will happen after. Oh, I see what you've about. done there. Quick, ask me one. I'll get it wrong as well. <laughs> yeah. I found a way out, Matt. We're fine. <laughs> let's let's launch ourselves into the time lash. <laughs> no, you don't Mark get away that easily. It's just the idea of being tossed in it that doesn't appeal uh, final question yeah. really wish you good luck with this because it's a grisly fate that awaits you if you don't get it right question okay. five where would you find the second largest art museum in the world Bill Bow oh that's a very good answer it's not correct in any way oh, but it is okay. a very good answer <laughs> sort of high calibre answer that I feel someone like James Bond yeah. would have given High calibre, but wrong. Yes, wrong. The uh, world's second largest art museum is in Russia. 
Oh, um, the Hermitage? The Hermitage, the Louvre being ah. the largest and the Chinese uh, National Museum being third. I can, I can recommend the film Russian Ark okay. for you, uh, which is set in the Hermitage. Oh, right, okay. So, oh, is that the real-time thing? That's, that's a, yes, an hour and a half, yeah. real-time. Yeah. The camera sort of drifts around, around the museum telling kind of vignettes from history, and he did it in three takes. And wow. he only had space for three takes because the light was going down and he only had access to the museum for that length of time. Mm. That's fascinating. Who, who directed that? Almost uh, Alexander Zukorov. Right. He almost killed the cameraman. Uh, because obviously <laughs> the cameraman's with a heavy steady cam has to sort of like, mm. it's a big sort of athletic endeavour and there's behind the scenes footage of them cutting at the end and the cameraman is literally covered in sweat and half collapsing and the director's crying and all the, the cast of 2000 extras are all applauding. So, I mean, it's quite a dull film. It's not an exciting film, but <laughs> well, the technical achievement and the kind of mesmeric, hypnotic kind of experience of drifting from room to room and, and encountering all of these people and these kind of ghosts mm. from history. Really, that does sound really, really good, actually, and that's such a good anecdote that I'm going to award you a pass mark for this test, does, just because the calibre... Does that mean I only get tossed but not lashed? Yeah, uh, well, it's up to you. You can have one or the other. I don't know what your Ooh. personal preference is. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody does. <laughs> well, you know, give it some thought. We've got, you know, literally another ten minutes while we talk about the Space Museum. Uh, <laughs> Hearing you talk about that poor camera, man, it was making me think of... Uh, the working conditions we can look forward to now that uh, we're thankfully out of that terrible EU business and uh, yeah, thank God. employers can do whatever they thank like. Thank God we've taken <laughs> back control. I d- to, be, to be honest, I don't, care any- I don't care about Brexit anymore. Trump's been elected out and Trump has been my- lived in my <laughs> head for four years. Yeah. And so, so the Ooh. sheer weight, the sheer weight of all of that regardless of the chaos that's ensuing at the same time, the sheer weight of this man being elected out of office has just... I'm sleeping, I'm like... <laughs> I'm like counting down the days. It's safe to look on Twitter We're hearing again. you, Matt. We're hearing yeah. you. Yeah. Of course, when this goes out, he'll be long gone, so, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we can't put it off any longer. Oh, we can, we can. Um, I... Uh... I thought, you see, when you were telling us that story about the the museum there, I was reminded of the, the uh, made-up film Jibijian that uh, you too made up for their liner notes of their Passengers album, where they pretended that they'd scored this art film that was reflections of the water hitting the canals of Venice reflected through a window onto the wall of an old woman's bedroom, and every ten minutes the film was played at half speed, so the film goes on for about three hours, but it gets so slow by the end of it. Um, and that's, that's I'm literally just dragging out anything I can think of to put off the that's evil moment. It's rather like listening to that album, I believe. Well, t- talking about Venice, does, I, I watched a George Lazenby film yesterday. Yeah, um, I didn't know he made set, two. He's made another one. <laughs> no, it was a, a low-budget giallo film called Who Saw Her Die, set in wintry Venice about a couple who lose their their daughter and are pursuing the killer mm. through the streets of Venice. Oh, okay. And it was it was filmed 
and it was released before Don't Look Now, which is exactly the same plot. Wow. But Don't Look Now is an, one of the best films ever made. Um, yeah. But... And this one? George Lazenby gives a good performance. Mm. He's believe he gives a good performance. I'm telling was you. Was this before or he, after he went a bit loopy this, after doing Bond? This is after he he didn't he yeah he quit Bond. He lost half his body weight. He took mm. acting lessons, and he did a few giallo films in in Italy. And it's really good. It is really good. Mm. I can well, recommend that. Well, you heard it here first. And of course, uh, oh, yeah. and of course, Pink Floyd played in uh, Venice as part of their momentary lapse of reason tour. Mm. What year was that? That would have been 1988, I believe. Oh, and that, what, what album would that have been on the back of? That would have been the momentary lapse of reason. Oh, I'm not aware of that. I'm only, I'm only no, <laughs> a, sort of a partial Pink Floyd person. That's that's their first one after Roger Oh, right, yeah, to, post, uh, post and do his own thing. Then he got very upset because they wanted to carry on as Pink Floyd, and as far as he was concerned, he, he was, was Pink, Pink Floyd, Floyd, and thus the court cases, Except, and thus the enmity. Yeah, we had the court cases, and the funny thing was, they're all fighting over it, mm. and the one person who actually had any claim to the name Pink Floyd was Sid Barrett, who mm. wasn't involved at all, well, because was, they left him he was somewhere in a, behind a one day and didn't bother to pick him up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, what else? I could I was, read out... I was Matt. I've got, no, it's all right, I've got a copy of the phone book, <laughs> I could read that out. Okay, uh, yeah. A, yeah. Ap- Appleyard, um, mm. Not Aardvark? Um... Oh, I've missed the first page. Yeah, there's 612 aardvarks. Aardvark glazing. Nice. Aardvark corner shop. Aardvark insurance. Okay, all right, enough now. The Space Museum. We probably have some people who actually like this story who are tuning in to hear Matt speak very eloquently about it. Okay. Okay. Matt. Yes. Oh, it's over to me, is it? Speak very eloquently about the Space Museum now. Space Museum. So... I mentioned earlier that you, the last one I did for you was uh, Edge of Destruction. Yes. And yeah. this is the kind of the, the other bookend, I think. This mm-hmm. is the last one that sort of goes off in an odd direction. So Down to a dodgy switch. Sorry? Down to a sort yeah, down to a switch. All down dodgy to a dodgy switch, switch yeah. in the console, yeah. Um, so this is Sounds one that familiar. goes sideways in time, except it doesn't really. Um so that I mean, the general consensus is episode one is actually really good mm-hmm. um, because it's mysterious and it involves the, the the TARDIS crew arriving, but somehow arriving before they actually arrive, mm-hmm. and they're kind of ghosts in this desert, and nobody can see or hear them. They don't leave any footprints, which is really creepy, and time mm-hmm. is sort of reversing around them, and then the great the great really great cliffhanger for episode yeah. one is um, they discover themselves as exhibits in this space mm-hmm. museum um, uh, sort of stuffed and mummified um, mm. and that's a, that's a genuinely good that's a really good cliffhanger yeah. the only problem is that episode two then actually starts the story off and it turns out to be a kind of the, about the bureaucrats behind the, the grey bureaucrats behind this museum and the enslaved mm-hmm. natives of the planet trying to trying to overturn this regime and it's kind of about running up and down corridors uh, yeah. t- trying to inspire this re- I mean, the, rebellion and... I have heard the argument raised uh, that it was written as a comedy mm-hmm. 
but directed very much as a straight story. Yeah. So perhaps some of some of the uh, the intention was lost. Or the, the, in the or making the, of it. Or that the jokes had been edited out because it sort of spanned two two script editors, I think. So mm-hmm. David Whitaker commissioned it and then Dennis Spooner took it on. Yeah. And and weirdly for Dennis Spooner, who is a comedic writer, um mm-hmm. he kind of Yeah, it's really po faced. It's it's very po faced. Except actually There's a bit of humour in there. I well, think when uh, well, when he's being interrogated by the uh the main bad guy. I think that's got its humorous moments. Yeah, and and actually, we, uh, I was grumbling it's about great. having, he's, to, he's... I was grumbling about having to talk about the space museum, mm-hmm. but there are some moments in here where particularly the the regulars really go for it with like yeah. insane performances or moments. There's Hartnell's one. Bit... Awesome. He's just sat there. It's like. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, there's one bit where Hartnell gets pulled through a, a door that's open behind him. And and yeah. I actually re- this is a space museum. I actually rewound that moment so I could watch so I could watch the game. <laughs> I watched more space Scooby museum Doo. than either of you two <laughs> because I rewound the moment. And there's a famous bit where Hartnell uh, hides in a Dalek. Yeah. And oh, yeah. and gives such a look of kind of childish childish shut such a look of childish joy when he's reveals where he is that that's mm-hmm. that's a moment that's ended up on documentaries about doctor who ever since to, to yeah. demonstrate the quirkiness um and also um william russell has has sort of moments of kind of of almost he, does. he gets to kick ass of mania yeah um and and maureen o'brien vicky gets gets like dialogue and she gets things to do so so they do split she's off she's very proactive she's very proactive. compared to her predecessor, you know, she's she's really firing them up into a she, to start this revolution. She is because they're all yeah. they're all a bit wet, aren't they? I mean, the the guys yeah. running the place are a bit, as you say, grey, and the locals are just a bit sort of. Mm. They look but, constantly surprised because they've got their the big eyebrows, and they're just sort of you know, well, we, yeah. we thought about they're you very, know rising up, but well you know spoken. we got a gun and then yeah. we had to give it back. Yeah, they're all very they're, they're, polite and very considerate, and they're all dressed like. 1960s French waiters and, or possibly, uh, <laughs> French intellectuals. Um, there's a very thin, blurred distinction between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I mean, yeah. Hmm. So this is where it falls down. Yes. Is with, is with the actual plot rather than rather than the main characters' performances. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit. It is a bit of a, a missed opportunity because, and I'm actually reminded just now of Paradise Towers, in that this is about youth rebellion. So, so the, mm-hmm. um, and I can't even remember what are the, what are the names of the the young people the that are, are rising, the 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 Zerons. Oh, so in this the one, Zerons, yes. the Zerons yeah, yeah. are the young people rebelling, mm-hmm. rebellioning, yes. rebellioning. Yeah, I like that. And this is all a sort of a mod, a mod <laughs> thing. This is about like mm-hmm. young people riding vespers through London and rising <laughs> up against the, bo- the boring, the boring businessmen. That might have been a bit more exciting. And and same way the Kangs, the Kangs are about punks kind yes. of living in, but they all speak with this kind of middle class yeah, kind of received yeah. pronunciation Just, yeah. and mm-hmm. the Zerons are really nice but they do horrible things I mean this is also a horrible story this this is a story yeah. that ends with Hartnell effectively stepping over the bodies of these slain 
slain yeah, bureaucrats. Yeah, they shoot the shit out of the Morlock. Don't yeah, they? yeah, but that's the that's the the, the conclusion is a massacre. Mm. Quite a long yeah. time before the massacre, but this is the this is a massacre <laughs> at the conclusion, and the 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 TARDIS crew kind of laugh it off, steal steal an artifact, they loot the museum <laughs> for the time space visualizer, and then yeah. bugger off. Oh no, it's given to them by um, Boba Fett. Yeah, but Boba Fett doesn't own it. I mean, all right, they they were an enslaved race, but mm. they yeah. But he doesn't own the stuff. Well, it's only going to get chucked in the skip along with all those missing episodes of Doctor Who, so that's, they might as well take that's it. That's very true. So, yeah, th- I think this is the flaw. This is the flaw. The flaw is, unfortunately, the, the lack of imagination. It's almost... It opens, like unlike, unlike any other Doctor Who story, it opens, well, and I say that, it opens like Edge of Destruction, which is another Doctor Who story. <laughs> but it's a really weird Doctor Who story. And then it just becomes one of the most stereotypical Doctor Who stories. It's like the the it's like the the it's like what Mark Gates not the ultimate wrote. Doctor Who story, but it's about young people. It's about bureaucrats, yeah. corridors. It's like a spoof of a Doctor yeah. Who, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like the Mark Gatiss. Yeah, for, um, that sort thing of he wrote for the death Doctor Who night. That yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get, let's let's just yeah. wind it back a bit though, because obviously. The, the, the key point to talk about, I suppose, is episode one, which a lot of people like. Um, can you talk us through the how it works? They, they've arrived. They've arrived too early, so they don't leave footprints. They see themselves in glass cases, but then they fade away. And yeah. then they know that they've arrived. I mean, yeah. that's not so how time... If you've ever watched Red Dwarf, you know that's not how time works. So you're well, asking... better than Red Dwarf. You're asking me to explain what happened. If you can. <laughs> if you can shed any light as a, <laughs> In a, as a man I with can't. letters after your name. So, okay, so I, I would explain it, but I'd explain it in terms of atmosphere rather right. than science. Okay. So I think, mm-hmm. I think it's their approach to it. Isn't isn't like Red Dwarf, but it's much creepier than Red Dwarf. I mean, Red, I'll, I'll the give Red you Dwarf creepy. episode had sort of ickiness in it. Yeah. Um, but this is this is kind of they've gone for atmosphere, I think, over over actual thinking it through, and they've covered it up with techno babble that William Hartnell clearly doesn't believe, <laughs> um, and Vicky kind of admirably delivers. Mm. It's sort of turning to the camera and saying, "Oh, but time has a dimension as well." Yeah, and and that's when. So I no, I can't. I can't explain it. Um, yeah, I mean, so episode one was atmospheric, and it was you know, and how many times have we seen an episode one where it's just the regulars moving around a weird location, mm-hmm. talking to each other, and gradually finding a cliffhanger. Um, but for all that, yes, it was atmospheric. But I was just the 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 fact that the sci-fi didn't work and it didn't do what sci-fi does when there's time travel or there's a time wibble. It just totally bounced off my head, and I was just left with a oh. oh. So my hopes were very much pinned on episodes two, three, and four to make to make that work and turn it around well, that, for me. I mean, that's the other fundamental flaw: is it's a high concept. 
that's absolutely got nothing to do with the story. Yeah. So it just so happens that there's a story that's going on as well. And then they kind of forget about the high, the really cool high concept bit and yeah. just and just follow this story, which is effectively, I mean, it is effectively the Daleks, but without Daleks and without the, the big ravine. <laughs> without Daleks. any real enthusiasm or <laughs> panache. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Um, but at least it's at least it's not seven episodes, which the, there is that there is yeah that. So, yeah. It's an example. Um, I mean, there, there is the whole sort of thing of they have to find their way out of the museum, and uh, they remember the Minotaur, and they in destroying Barbara's beautiful attire, they are in a way evading their fate because obviously she's wearing that when they see themselves in the the glass cases. So that's part of them escaping their fate when ian tried to bite the cardigan in half as well and, and couldn't tear it and she had <laughs> she had to tear her own cardigan for ian oh um, yes so anyway let's let's just backtrack for a second how so, who how many times have you guys seen this one um how familiar are you with it with the target book or whatever um and, and how much of a chore or a delight was it to watch it on this occasion i've seen it two or three times it's not necessarily a massive favorite I don't think it's as bad as everyone makes out. I mean, it's not. I've seen some really dreadful Drek on TV. <laughs> that this, I think, is better. But, yeah, it, it's not one I relish going back to. I had not read the Target book, so... But I have heard that there's a lot more humour in the Target book, from what I gather. There'd have to be. Um, so this <laughs> this is actually only the second time I've, I've watched it. And the first time was only last year. Oh, wow. So this is a okay. this is a story that I'd purposefully not watched. So you were saving it for best. There, there's always I always try to have one at least <clears> one <throat> Doctor Who story that I don't know anything about. I haven't read the book. I haven't watched it at the moment. I think it's pretty much the Savages is the last one left. But okay. the Space Museum was was there as the one I just hadn't watched, and then eventually I just decided to to watch it. Um, because mm-hmm. uh, I had the DVD, um, and I was surprised. I was surprised. I watched it all the way through without getting bored. I ge- mm. I genuinely, it's a boring story, but I don't get bored by it. So I've recently tried to watch Megloss again, and my God, I I gave up with Megloss after an episode and a half, <laughs> um, because it's that that's really it's frustrating. Just a Matt. But but this one, there's something about. The, after the first episode holds your attention and then after the first episode it's so obvious what it's doing that you know you're not mm. going to be surprised by it you know that you're just going to have to drift with it and there's just about enough of watching William Russell and Jacqueline Hill and mm. William Hartnell when he's not on holiday doing yeah. doing interesting things and and they're, they're clearly comfortable in their performances William Hartnell. I think it's worth watching just for William Hartnell and Maureen O'Brien. Yeah, those two. make it worth a watch. Yeah, this definitely, definitely isn't the worst Doctor Who story ever made. Mm. Um, it's just so boringly in the middle. (laughs) It's yeah. Yeah. Ian, Mm. I take it is this your again one of your your first? Yeah, I I watched it last (laughs) night. Now. Full disclosure, I was incredibly drunk. I'd had two or three Negronis um, <laughs> on the back of some beers and some Prosecco. And um, 
I think some red wine as well. Some would argue that's probably the best way to watch it. Was, it, anyway, it, was, yes. it was good in that I was numb, I felt safe, I couldn't feel my legs, but I was able to just sit and look at the thing that was happening on, on the on the iPhone. Um, and I've never read the book. I had no real idea of what the story featured or, or, or involved. And having watched it... That that is now no longer the case. I I want to I want to just circle back to something you you claimed they you claimed Matt that this is not the worst Doctor Who story ever made. Oh no, no. Right. By no, it's not by far. Mm. So mm, does that mean that that the ones that are even worse than this are they also in the sort of Hartnell <laughs> era or maybe? Trout oh god so, so you're asking what the worst for the worst so i mean for for a story to be bad for me i think it's it's for them not to have aspirations and then not even to meet the non-aspirations that they don't have right so they somehow they somehow drop the ball in multiple departments and this this one i mean that a quarter of this one is is an original interesting event in Doctor Who and the, the rest isn't offensive I didn't find it offensive and there was enough there was enough I thought to to lift it and actually the 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 sheer amusement of watching these these two groups of very boring people <laughs> have at it <laughs> And and just knowing that that the production team are just going to go well, that'll have to do then. Yeah, <laughs> that's enough. That's enough for me. I found that. I mean, it's unintentionally amusing to me, but I found it amusing. I didn't mind about the lack of science. I quite. I actually prefer it when. I always prefer it when there isn't a scientific explanation and they just do something, um, bat, bat effluent crazy with the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with with the plot without any explanation at all they just say well this is I this think... is how time works now okay, okay that's fine but this isn't the worst I think some of the directions really good in this I think yeah the... pinfield does a good job i don't think it's a the beautiful set... shot where it's looking down from the exterior and you're looking all the way down through into the museum through the open doors and that really yeah. sells the scale of where they are the location yeah and there's that bit of business when um William Russell walks from the TARDIS interior to the exterior where he's doing that business with his hands. And obviously they have a recording break when they go from the TARDIS set into mm. the location. He's uh, sort of doing the, uh, for the, other the monster yeah. mash or whatever it is. That's it, yeah. yeah. Just little moments like I that. I mean, I just, you know, let's let's turn the clock back 24 hours. I'm, I'm in my, my room. I could be watching John Higgins versus Yan Bing Tao in the final of the Masters Snooker. <laughs> but I think to myself, no, that sounds a bit boring. I'm going to watch the Space Museum. Wow. You're, you're saying that like you need somebody to remind you of what happened 24 hours ago because you were... <laughs> yeah. It's all been a bit of a blur after that. I mean, the, the, when they the revived The two times I've watched the Space Museum, I was hocked up on magic mushrooms. So yeah. it might be that my <laughs> ent the entertainment value was heightened. And they, they just found me walking down the high street here and I was wearing this sort of sheer silk blouson and... Uh, a torn cardigan. Oh, how lovely! Ah. So, so I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that the space museum is worth, is worth <laughs> watching. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that actually the Space Museum is one of those stories where if you are doing uh, a Doctor Who pilgrimage, you'd start thinking, do I go on to the next one? Um, but, but to be honest... Not to oh, want to... but then you miss, you're going to miss that sort of cliffhanger at the ending of this one, which sets up the next story. Yeah, but to be honest, I'd rather actually, some, in some ways, watch the Space Museum than the Chase, which is the one that's coming up for, for you what? guys. I'm not a fan of the Chase. I think that the Chase is... Right, okay, anyway, I was Mark. <laughs> I, I just... I, well, obviously, well, I, mean, I'm not gonna I talk respect about your opinion, chase. Matt, but you're wrong. But the, the, the Chase reaches high. I'll give it that. Oh, it really does. It really does. <laughs> is it? Is it but not better possibly, to try and fail than not to try? And just yeah. the costume department yeah. says, right, those guys can just wear a black pullover and black trousers and black shoes, and we'll have these huge, false ginger eyebrows on them. That'll do. Right, yeah. I'm off down the boozer. Which is clearly what <laughs> happened that day in the costume department. I can't help thinking, Ian, that you're focusing on <laughs> one of the twenty-five or so <laughs> negative aspects of the space museum. <laughs> And you're ignoring the you're right, ignoring okay. Hartnell, Hartnell's face when he's pulled back through the secret door, which I mean, is yes. so sweet. Yeah. It's like a gerbil. Yeah. It's like a gerbil being surprised <laughs> by somebody spinning the wheel that the gerbil's in. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. But let's focus on another, um, I think, possibly contentious. So we spend four hours in a museum. No, sorry, that's a lie. Yeah. Four episodes in a museum. Yeah. Name one of the yeah. exhibits like we saw in that museum. The Time Space Visualizer. Apart from that one. Uh, two two spacesuits from the Quatermass experiment. Right. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, the Dalek. <laughs> yeah. Is this this I is think, the, the sophistic point, thing where you go name one thing? Well, actually, we had, name three, name seven things. I think at one we point had, they hid. We had some stools from the sensorites. Did they? Yeah. We had some stools from the spaceship on the sensor. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. There was a, a yeah, I think a Formula One engine that Ian hid behind at one point. But mm-hmm. you didn't see you saw a lot of the corridors between the rooms that had all the exhibits. Yeah. You did not see a lot of exhibits. Is my is my my minor so, gripe. So I I haven't been to the abandoned lift shaft museum in New York. Well clearly or you would have known where it was. <laughs> I have been to the Guggenheim Museum oh, in New yes, York, so and the Guggenheim Museum is the most frustrating art gallery in New York because you spiral around yeah, a yeah. corridor and you can't get far enough away from any of the art to see it properly, <laughs> and then you end up at the bottom and out. And I would submit that the Guggenheim in New York is a more frustrating museum than the Space Museum on Xeros mm. is. In your face. There we, I... I I'm going to take that as a conclusive argument. Well, I I quite enjoyed the Guggenheim, but I did that in the Frick in the same day. Um, So that was quite quite a nice day. Mark, have you ever been to any art galleries in New York? Yeah, we went to... um, Is it MoMA? Oh, yeah. That's Mm. great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we went to MoMA. And they had... Is that the one with the suspended helicopter in the the lobby? I think I would remember that. I don't feel like that was a permanent fixture. It's the sort of thing they might have done for, a, you know, for gits and shiggles. But <laughs> I like the idea that I, I saw it and it wasn't actually suspended. Somebody had just flown this in there. And it was just <laughs> hovering in the foyer yeah. and thought, wow, they've suspended yeah. the helicopter. It's making a lot of noise yeah. and there's wind, but oh, yeah. that's impressive. And move on and they just fly out. We seem out to have veered away from the Space Museum. We do. Oh, yeah, just, I'm just pointing museum. that out. Did anybody watch the snooker? Yeah. I mean... Uh... <laughs> 
I, d- I didn't. I've been missing it whilst I've been in lockdown. Oh. And I haven't been watching terrestrial television yeah. that much. Yeah. And also Ronnie O'Sullivan didn't seem to be playing in it. He was. He made it, I think, through to the quarters. But, um, oh, did he? Because oh, I really okay. leaned into it because it's the only thing that happens, you know, at the moment. There's, yeah. So anything, anything sport, or not anything sporting, I can't abide most sports. Look mm. at the state of me. But I do mm. like watching the snooker and the Formula One. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've watched quite a lot of it this week. Well, I finally got around to watching The Avengers Age of Ultron, oh. which um, is uh, it's quite a new film, I've heard. It's, um, mm. Have you seen any of them afterwards? No. Because I've been doing a, my, my own pilgrimage of Marvel movies. Oh yeah, and actually, I got through. I got quite a long way, but I actually fell over at Civil War. Right, which oh. is. Well, actually, I tell a lie. I have seen uh, Black Panther. That's really good. Black Panther's really good. Um, Thor Ragnarok, mm. I think, is the best, one of the best Marvel movies. Mm. Thor Ragnarok is really good. Yeah, and I've Not also watched Museum. first two episodes of Wonder Vision as well. Oh right, yeah. Which is so much better than the Space Museum. But in the same <laughs> way, it presents two episodes where they don't really don't explain what's going on. Mm, but it's like yeah. if you gave Marvel characters to David Lynch Ooh. and just told him okay. to just riff on it. It is, it is exceptional. Oh, well, that sounds like it's right up in That is. Yeah. That is. And it also confirms, confirms to me that, that sitcoms are actually nightmarish, that a lot of sitcoms aren't funny. They're actually about prisons. They're all about prisons. Open all hours... Steptoe and Son, uh, the porridge, the, yeah. the one about well, actually, <laughs> literally, <laughs> porridge is literally about a prison. But there are some, there are some sitcoms where characters want to leave and can't. Ever decreasing circles, Steptoe and Son, uh, the one about the old guys in in Yorkshire, Last of the Summer Wine. Mm. You get the feeling that these people want to get away, and actually, porridge, you get the feeling that actually they're slightly happier inside than they are back. Outside. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, yeah. they're quite. You know, every other sitcom involves a family unit or a group of people being together for far longer than they would normally have been. Yeah. You know, Rodney Trotter yeah. would probably yeah. have moved out by the time he was twenty-one. Yeah. Why would he want to live with Dale and Grandad? You know, and and, those those and sitcoms I find profoundly depressing, and I just can't watch mm. the sitcoms like The Detectorists and. Ghosts, which is a recent sitcom, oh, are about great. people trapped together, but they discovered actually they're really happy trapped together and they have mm-hmm. a really nice time. And there's things happening that I are love amusing. The but, yeah. great. Did you watch Nightingales? No, I'm a different generation, unfortunately. No, you're not. You're two years younger than me. Yeah. So I can't get away it, with Because it sounds like it was exactly halfway between the two different things you're describing. Right. You had these three security guards who night in, night out were guarding this building. But they had so many stupid ways of passing the time and little rituals and routines that they clearly enjoyed each other's company. Yeah. So that might be one that would work for you okay. or might finish you off. It was Robert Lindsay, know. wasn't it? It was Robert Lindsay yeah. and David Threlfall and, um, and a third actor who might have been in Battlefield. Okay. Anyway, well, the best modern sitcom is obviously Cabin Pressure. The really oh, oh, sitcom. isn't it though? Isn't it though? Best thing yeah. the BBC have yeah. done for twenty years. I, had a cu- I once had a cup of tea with Stephanie Cole. Have I ever mentioned this? Oh, she's a legend. Oh, have you seen? She's uh, going to be in a. <laughs> the voice of Bessie. <laughs> yes. 
How bizarre! It's it's not it's not one that I'm probably going to get. I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. No, but I, you know she is she is, she a, is legend. a legend. I mean, yeah, she she is. I'm not sure that Bessie. I'm 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 trying to pull this back towards towards Doctor Who. Oh yeah, Doctor Who. You can. You yeah. can go quite far with that, but let's not go all the way back to, mm. say, 1964. <laughs> mm. Rob Shearman does a pretty good job of uh, trying to defend the Space Museum. He admits that it's not amazing, but uh, he does. He puts up a spirited defence on the DVD well, extras. Most, okay. most of the kind of the s- smart, the smart um, analysis of the Space Museum that I've read, and I, I read a little bit like 10 minutes ago, it it kind of it does kind of focus on the three episodes rather than the one, and I think there is those three episodes. I think are interesting. I think they are interesting in the way that they offer some sort of condensation of what we think of as being Doctor Who, as as being sort yeah. of the Doctor Who stereotypes, and a lot of them actually come from this. And the first episode. It's interesting, but it actually doesn't hold up to much kind of it is what it is. It's creepy, but yeah. it is what it is. Those three episodes are the more hidden ones. It's a bit like an unearthly child where where you always think of that first episode, but actually the three Stone Age ones are sort of more interesting because they've been underappreciated or under under examined. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, I think it I think it is worth watching. I think the Space Museum is is worth watching, not just in the completest sense, but in terms of finding, mm. finding. It's a, it's watching the main characters in a position before William Hartnell gets very ill and tired, where Jacqueline Hill and William Russell are at that point where they know they're leaving, and they're getting excited about leaving, and they're just going for it, <laughs> and Maureen O'Brien is actually trying to impress. And is kind of taking her role and trying to do something non-Susanish with it, and that dynamic between mm-hmm. the four of them makes it. It's for three episodes, it's it's not that much time to to have to endure. Um, so there's a there's mm-hmm. a lot of that that fills the space up, and you see Boba Fett like <laughs> in a black, in a exactly. <laughs> In a black kind of French avant-garde kind of, yeah. all he needs is a kind of a goatee, a jeton. Yeah, <laughs> and and he'd really be a sort of a like a rebel teen uh, teenager, but you know. I yeah, s- I think um, I was thinking more the Beatles. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, now that I actually think about it, in the light of what you said, that those episodes two, three, and four are quite hard work in an excruciatingly bad kind of way but they they don't feel like a place where you'd stumble on the pilgrimage because I think they're so egregiously comically terrible that you can't help but enjoy them because it is you know it is the uh, Doctor Who story um, mm-hmm. done so half-arsedly mm. um, and apart from obviously Rob Shearman says even the computer sounds boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when they're trying to crack the Possibly code to get so into the armory. Can you be bothered to remember the next line? <laughs> so do you that's probably where Marvin came from. So watching it you're yeah, you're kind be. of like sort of staggered and you know astonished by how really mediocre this is but there's a lovable quality in that which something like the Sensorites which is all very very good but my god it is just 
agony to watch. Yeah, all right, maybe it's mm. maybe it's not that bad. So it's the sense rights that. So if this isn't where you would stumble, presumably, <laughs> have you already found a story that you would have stumbled if you weren't uh, doing this for for Mark and his and this pod- podcast? <sighs> I, I mean, everyone everyone says the sense rights is hard work. I mean, it's not hard work, you know. Getting up in weather like this and delivering newspapers is hard work, and don't think mm. I haven't tried. Um, but I, if it, if it was purely down to me for fun, I probably would have wavered somewhat by now. Okay, on a, a number of occasions. Yeah, but um, I think we found the Reign of Terror quite hard. Really? Again, well, we? I only read the book, and that was. I seem to remember. I like the Reign of Terror. I I really like that oh, animation. No. I think that came out. Did that come out bottom in our? Season I think it might expected. have done. You monsters! Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, yeah. hey, don't don't blame <laughs> us. Um, it was it was it was Bob Fleming. He, okay. Yeah, Bob and Craig. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's all his God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just throwing him under a bus. Oh dear, let's hope he's not listening yeah. to this one. Hi, Bob. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I think I voted it quite low as well. To be fair, so I can't. Really I mean, I'm assuming everybody's. Everybody's going to be listening to this one because they're going to be fascinated to find out what everybody thinks about the Space Museum. This has has to be a sparkling... (laughs) I mean, yeah. But presumably you're now seeing, like, Dalek's master plan on the glittering glittering horizon Mm -hmm. just waiting for you to, like... You're you're starting to have conversations about how to actually approach the Dalek's master plan, whether to, you know, split it into two special podcasts or have an epic podcast. You're not. Yeah, I mean, I've just got a post-it yes. note to ask Mark where I can watch it exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, we're, we're going to have a yeah. It's a uh, it's all been fully remastered in good, good uh, in glorious HD. Right. Uh, I'll lend you the Blu-ray. Oh, rays. thank you. Great. I'll look forward to that. I'll keep an eye yeah. on the post map. Yeah. So, do we want to? Is there anything else you want to say oh, before God, we yes. wrap it up and give it a score? <laughs> Go um, on then. Unleash the fury. So, Ian Chesterton. Who I think he's really good I, in this. Well, we have on occasion disagreed about that, haven't okay, we? I think he's really good in this as well, so bring it on. Come on. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Do you? So, yeah. what, so he can't bite his way through a cardigan. But that, isn't that a purpose for... He dresses, but, he dresses like Roger Moore playing Alan Partridge. But he can take on... Several men with his bare hands. He can hands. beat off a few men. I've seen an awful lot of he things really online can. where that happens. That's nothing special. <laughs> so, so isn't I feel like he he mellowed over the uh, after Susan left. I think he had maybe three or four stories there where he was um, mellow, he was chilling out. He was more tolerable, more bearable. And this one, the the broom up his ass has just been pushed a couple of notches back up. He's just edged back into real git territory. Well, he's on the edge because, you know, he's got to... The the doctor's gone missing. He's been kidnapped. He's worried that Barbara is going to be gassed to death. And another thing, Barbara is so gorgeous in this where she's trying to get that door open and her hair's a mess and she's wearing that, that silk blouse. She looks so hot and you think, what would she be doing with a git like him? So... There's no So justice. I see, it's jealousy. There's it's no jealousy. So that's that's I where think the way I see it is that to start with, William Russell is like the the straight laced action man 
kind of hero. Mm-hmm. But yeah. by portraying him as a slightly bumbling kind of parody of the action man, the, the sort of person that gets into scrapes, you have to see Ian and Barbara as kind of one entity. And right. anything mm-hmm. that Ian fails at, Barbara succeeds at. And that elevates Barbara as a character. So this is kind of a story mm-hmm. that demonstrates Barbara's competence. And watching that, it's a bit like, I'm sorry, Mark, it's a bit like the third Doctor, who's always accused of being, <laughs> of being this pomp- pompous Whoa. kind of Tory. But actually, actually, he is pompous, but it's when, you, it's when his pomposity is pricked by, by getting something Oof. wrong or falling over or mm. underestimating a companion. Yeah. That's actually when he becomes likeable, I think. And the same with Brigadier. Mm. So I think, I think um, Ian does show signs of idiocy in this and incompetence. Mm-hmm. But I think... I think that's for the benefit of the the wider the wider cast. That's for the benefit of Jacqueline Hill. Speaking of Ian's idiocy and incompetence, this was being filmed at the same time as the first Peter Ooh, Cushing movie. Was it? Mm. And there was one member of the cast who was on both productions. Ooh. It was Peter Hawkins, the voice of the Daleks. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. So was yeah. Peter Hawkins one of the Morocks? No, he was voicing the Dalek in the end. Oh, of the okay, episode. okay. Oh, so uh, yeah, and he voiced the Dalek. In so, the so it's it's the, the chase, the cliffhanger to the chase bit that he. Okay, um, okay fine. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. I'd actually forgotten that that bit existed because I hate the chase <laughs> so much. What? What have you got against the chase? I think it's awful. I th- I think it's like a it's tremendous fun. Ian, Clips, put your hands over your ears. I think it's a stab at doing Dalek's master plan, but a failure. He he went there. And Dalek's master plan is like 12 episodes long. I'm so sorry. Um, But the chase is like six, (laughs) and it drags much more than the Dalek's master plan does. I think... um, come on. I think the the final sort of... I'm sticking by it. You know, it's not even really a scene. Is it a a Dalek in a corridor going, oh, "Oh, we're going to get the Doctor? Um, okay. wrong, I think that would have been but, more you know, effective fine. as a twist, oddly, if you hadn't had the static Dalek in part one. I felt like they're in part one, they're in part four, they're kind of uh, Daleks, Daleks, Daleks. Um, but then again, I suppose mm-hmm. using the old rule of if you're eight years old and yeah, if you're eight years old in 1964, that was two moments yeah. of genuine excitement mm. in yeah. in a story that otherwise might not have been quite so wonderful it's a month later isn't it it's like three weeks down the line yeah i think it was pretty well received on on the whole from what i remember of seeing the uh the reaction on the uh, the dvd extras do you mean the space museum in general was quite well received i yeah. can imagine that i can imagine if you watch it like 22 minutes a week and you don't see it multiple mm-hmm. times you don't see it all in one block yeah you're just watching it mm-hmm. on small screens <laughs> I think this is a perfectly watchable kind of this keeps you going and you've as you as Ian says you've seen the Dalek in like the first couple of that's not bad that's not to be sneezed and that's enough excitement for half the story and then you see a Dalek in the final (laughs) episode in a sense there are Dalek there are Daleks in three of the four episodes which you know (laughs) that's yeah that's not bad 
Okay, do we want to wrap this up? Okay. Can we think of any other tangents to go off on? Well, as I said before, I think uh, Maureen O'Brien is really good in this. I think she does that whole thing of riding up the the local kids to get them to overthrow their grey oppressors. I think that's really good. Um, I think Mm. Hartnell's fantastic. He's taking the piss out of that guy when he's sat in the chair where he can't get out. And the guy's interrogating. He's just taking the piss. It's brilliant. Classic Hartnell. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. You're not... It's all, Ian's looking at me like... Almost as good as per, Pertwee in Day this? of the Daleks. You know, it's not going to be one that I'm going to be desperate to go back and watch again, but I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as a lot of people. So, so Mark, so Ian's yeah. described the story that he could potentially have given up on. You, you know mm. what's coming. What are the stories that worry you with this podcast? Ah uh, no, because that that will then cloud Ian's opinion. So I want him to come in completely fresh. Okay. Okay. So I'm not I'm gonna not gonna play that game, Matt Barber. Okay. Because okay. Ian is a man with his own opinions, well, and uh, if he likes something, he will blooming well say. Well, it. when you get if to you... the demons, of which I've written a book about, that's still available. In Black. You've written a book about the uh, demons. Uh, you never mentioned that books, before. Black Archive. Um, oh, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to listen to what you say about that. Okay, in in yeah. sixteen years' time. I mean, we might invite yeah. you on. Well, or your or your offspring if they're of age <laughs> yeah. by then, because yeah. your grandchildren might this, not be with us. This is very <laughs> much the generationship of, of podcasts. <laughs> 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 it's, it's been it's been launched, and now it's kind of drifting. <laughs> yeah, the ark in space. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Anywho. Let's wrap this up and give it a score out of 10. I shall come to Matt Barber first. I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10. I'm genuinely middle of the road, absolutely straight down the centre. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Ian? Yeah, I think... um, I I think in sort of stark contradiction to what Matt said, I think this is categorically the worst Doctor Who story I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, okay, but it is not. But but it's not the most off-putting. It's not the the most unbearable. I mean, it didn't you offend know, you, you. It just didn't do much to excite you, you either. If you gave me the choice of watching the Space Museum or um, the Doctor's Daughter, I'm going to watch the Space Museum every time. So, I I I think nevertheless, um, I'm going to give it a three. Oh, that's higher than I thought you were going to give it, to be fair. Um, yes, going back to what I've said already, it's not one I'm desperate to go back and watch again for pleasure. Uh, I, I don't think it's as bad as people make out. And for that reason, I am going to give it a five. It's right down the middle. It's not stunning. It's not terrible. It's just kind of there. It's n- so I'm going to give it a it's five. It's not a forever story. It really isn't. <laughs> Although for Ian, I think it seemed like forever. I was very <laughs> drunk. <laughs> so that's enough about what we think. Let's have some listener feedback. I've got mail. So we have heard from Jeff Goddard, who can be heard on the Gallifrey's Most Wanted podcast. Great podcast. Check it out if you haven't heard it. Uh, he says, I think any story where Vicky gets to proclaim revolution is a keeper. To be fair, the other characters are maybe less well-served, but I love the interrogation scene with the Doctor projecting those ridiculous mental images. Not the greatest story from the Hartnell era, but one that certainly has its moments. Thank you, Jeff. 
and uh, Ian. Oh, ooh, yeah. I've got more than you. Ha ha ha. Oh. So, 42 to Doomsday. At 42 to Doomsday on what is colloquially known as the Twitters. Uh, has written in to say, Episode 1 is intriguing, but the rest is an absolute snorefest. Billy seems to be having fun, though. You can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, DJ Alpha T Scarfunk Soul Beats. Nice. Heavens. Um, I don't I do know like what any of that means. I, I, like, um, I like guitars. Um, he says, Brilliant first episode, so spooky and atmospheric. Shame about the other three episodes, which... If I'd read this earlier, I could have just submitted mm, yeah. that as my homework and and bunked this lesson altogether and been round the back of the podcasting <laughs> bike sheds having some fags. Ooh. Thank you, DJ Alpha T. And Matt. So Suki Kark, whose name I recognise, um, from Proctor Who? Yes, uh, and indeed. the Check This Out podcast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he says, I've tried to watch this a few times. <laughs> I've managed to watch <laughs> it all on my first viewing. And then on all other times, I gave up as I reached for the DVD case. Not good, he says. And Dwayne Bunny says, Could it be that this is the first timey-wimey story? Despite its obvious faults, I have a soft spot for this one. Yes. And we've also had some audio feedback. So if you're unaware, you can leave audio feedback. Um, You can go to our webpage, which is at anchor.fm. We'll give you all the relevant links you need in our uh, end credits. There's also a link in the show notes as well. And you can leave up to 60 seconds of feedback. So we've heard from Ben Schneider. One thing that I appreciate about the Doctor Who story, the Space Museum, especially at the end of episode one, is how we see that the you know museum staff are storing the Doctor and the rest of the main cast in a big glass case, a display case. And I so, so get it. Because I also keep my Doctor Who toys and action figures locked up in a glass case. You know, to keep them safe from my six-year-old daughter. She really wants to take my Colin Baker and send him on a date with her uh, She-Ra doll. But no, honey, those are daddy's toys. So, hands off! Uh, thank you, Ben. I d- so, I, that's our feedback. I couldn't hear that because it hasn't been edited in yet. But I like to think it's just the sound of someone <laughs> snoring gently. <laughs> 60 se- 60 yeah, seconds. Ben has a slightly irreverent view okay. of some of the uh, the Hartnell stories, it has to be said. So, it uh, just leaves us to thank Mr. Barber, sorry, Dr. Barber, once you. more for gracing our halls with his presence. You're welcome. Thank you for gracing and our thank you halls, for pro- Thank you for probing me and not lashing me too hard. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to give a plug to before you go, oh. Matt? Any books on oh, the go man. or anything like that? Um, so, so my book is still for still for sale, and it's the only thing that's out there that people can buy that actually oh. brings me remuneration. I think the phrase "flogging a dead horse" brings to mind, um, yeah, Matthew. Oh, in that case, I'll talk about Winterhill. So. No, there are still people that want to read about the demons and want to find out my opinion on uh, modern witchcraft. So there's that, and also okay. the Strangers in Space podcast, um, which I record mm-hmm. once a once a week. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm still doing that through lockdown bravely. That's uh, excellent. In many ways, I think we should get vaccinated first. Pod, Doctor Who podcasters are in many ways key workers in this in this country. Ooh. I mean, I know there's the NHS and the postal service and all that, but Doctor Who podcasters—they're really this, they're this really the brave so heroes that are 
pulling if, the country if it through. Wasn't for them, no. yeah. If no. it wasn't for the Strangers in Space podcast, I don't know how I'd get through the week. Exactly. So if quite. we can, as you say, <laughs> jump the queue to get vaccinated, that would be because of the good, important work we're doing. Uh, I'm all for that. That'd be only fair. And, and I just like to say that uh, these are not the views of me. And it would also ju- would also justify the vast donation I made to the Tory Party <laughs> towards the end of last yes, year, God. as well, which two hundred seventy-five thousand pounds, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Which in no way I'm expecting anything in return for. Anyway, Matt, thank you very much for joining us again. You're welcome. So join us next time for The Chase. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at mailbagofrassalon at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Time and Space Pod. And you can also find us on Facebook. If you want to leave some audio feedback, there is a link in the show notes. You can use your phone or your computer and leave up to 60 seconds of feedback. Or if you're listening via the Anchor website, you can click on the message button and leave your audio. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you to Momo Tempo for providing our theme music. <laughs>